Good morning. This is Nancy Leffler, and welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan. We always like to start our show with an introduction and a reminder of why we do it. In November of 2000, our 17-year-old daughter, Leah, died in a car accident. Meeting the grief of her death helped us to more fully understand the territory of grief. We each took our own path on that journey, and we have now arrived in a place where we can join together to help others navigate their grief journeys. Leah's death provided a doorway to our transformation, one that we never expected. Our passion is changing the conversation around grief and helping those we talk to find meaning, purpose, and joy again so they can fully participate in their lives. We invite you to join today's conversation and help us build community. Welcome to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan, where conversations build community. Our Monday Morning Conversations are meant to create a safe space where respectful dialogue is encouraged. Our intention is to promote understanding by listening when having difficult conversations. We hope to offer you resources as you travel your personal journey. Today, our song of the day was selected by our guest today, B, our introduction. I really have enjoyed listening and being part of this uh, musical selection. This is Sarah Bareilles and her song, Brave. Take a listen. You can be amazing, you can turn a phrase into a weapon or a drug. You can be the outcast and be the backlash of somebody's lack of love. Or you can start speaking up. Nothing's gonna hurt you the way the words do when they settle near your skin. To me inside, no sunlight. Sometimes a shadow ends. But I wonder what would happen if you say what you wanna say.
That was Brave by Sarah Bareilles. And I think that uh, the line that struck me most was uh, the line, Stop Holding Your Tongue. That line alone could be the motto for this show. And um, I was so taken by her many accomplishments and the work that she's been doing and really happy to include this as part of the songs in our music collection that uh, we have each week. Well, today um, I'm really thrilled to have my good friend, our good friend, Helen Moses, in studio with us today. And before we, we get into a conversation, I want to tell you a little bit about Helen. Helen Moses, voice and communications strategist and owner of Speak Up Communications, has over 30 years of experience and expertise using her voice effectively across a variety of roles, including as a speech-language pathologist, classically trained singer, TEDx speaker and speaker coach, distinguished Toastmaster, wife, mother, lay minister, and business owner. Helen offers communications and voice empowerment coaching to speakers, leaders, and ministers who want to amplify their message and make a bigger impact. Author of the Amazon bestseller, Voice Unleashed, Speaking Up with Faith and Courage, her mission in work and life is to help individuals and teams communicate with alignment, confidence, and empathy, building stronger and more lasting relationships that lead to greater fulfillment, efficiency, and results for all. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. It is absolutely wonderful to be here. Yes, it is. So our topic today is how to connect with people experiencing loss. Before we get into those specifics, uh, let's start out with some of the more broad topics. Like, as a communicator, what makes for a good connection? Communication is all about connection. In, In fact, it's just... Communication is the transmission of an idea, thought, emotion, concept from one person to another through a variety of means. Uh, My favorite is the voice. And communication does, it just doesn't work. If you, if communication doesn't work, then the connection doesn't happen. So, um, knowing how to communicate well, you're already having a leg up as a connector. Yeah, and as, as you say that, I'm, I'm um, aware that it's not a one-way street. There has to be a reciprocal connection to make um, communication be as, as important as it is, t- to really make that communication connection. Yeah, yeah, and it does go both ways. And there's a there's a starting point and there's an ending point of a certain message. I like to talk about your voice is like a vehicle and you want to get from point A to point B. And we all are familiar with GPSs that talk about where your destination is. And in communication, the destination is not just the listener's ear, because we can all hear things and and not remember them or not really pay attention to them, but beyond the ear into their mind and into their heart. Mm -hmm. And we also want to start from that place too, not just from our mouth, but from our mind and our heart. So then it reaches the other person and they respond and they come back. I can understand that as being such an important element and the willingness to be present to one another and express eye contact and you know we 
talk about body language and um, whether or not a person is closed or open as being an important cue as to whether or not that connection is going to be made. And I think there's some real issues uh, in the world today about being able to communicate, especially if you're getting your information in a one-way transmission like radio. It's difficult to know that you're making that connection and touching uh, the listeners who are are out there in radio land. And that's why the voice is so important. Uh, One of the, in in, um, years past, when I first started telling my story, Helen was very important in helping me learn how to put the emotion in my voice because I was telling you about the death of my daughter and how sad it made me like this. And in person, that doesn't fly. And over the radio, that certainly doesn't, doesn't grab anyone's attention. So that's why the voice is so important. And I think that's why that song, uh, Selection, was really appropriate today to be brave and to speak what's in your heart. Yes. Um, I, I really like that message. And like I said, don't hold your tongue. Don't be afraid of expressing yourself. And I think, uh, and, and you know, we're are, we're all parents here, and yes. uh, we um, have had that difficulty in making a connection between um, our children and wanting them to hear our words in a way that you know makes that connection in a in a good way. The last couple of weeks, we've had people on here that have told their stories about some of the brokenness in communication that has really affected um, children's lives. Uh, but it, it's really uh, a lifelong process, and uh, the sooner you can learn to become a better communicator, the better your connections will be and the better you will be in telling your story. And I think that's really why we do what we're doing here today is to express our story. So tell us a little bit more about Helen Moses. She is a complicated person, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But she has, Helen, I always have loved to talk. In fact, my daughter accused me of um, that being my favorite thing. It's talking. It's not really an accusation. It's the truth. I love to talk. And it's not just to hear the sound of my voice. It's the, the connections. But I have also at the same time always, or from a very young age, felt the need to please everybody, felt the need to do, be the good girl, do things right, especially please people in authority and, and adults when I was a child, say and do the right thing. And there were times where I had thoughts that didn't match what I thought the others thought I should say. And so I held those back and I was silent and I wasn't releasing my tongue and I wasn't sharing what was in my heart. And it it was a struggle at times, although I could put on, I was always good at putting on a show. So a lot of people who looked at me might not have realized that behind this facade that I often put out there, that I was having these struggles inside to, to really be me and be that it's okay to say what I want to say, like Sarah Bareilles talked about or sang about. Um, so in college, I was a vocal performance major, 
and didn't get a job there, but I ended up in speech language pathology, which I went into because I learned that people who had stutters in speaking could then use singing as a tool for greater fluency. And I was completely fascinated by that because it incorporated my love of speaking and talking and my love of singing. And and now that was just such a wonderful entry into what I do, that, that part of my career, because there's so many ways that people use their voices from the speech language pathologists work in hospitals, in schools, home health settings, voice clinics. There's just such a variety of ways that that field is applied in people's lives. And so that then um, was another grounding of my career and helped me begin to start as I would want to help other people say what they wanted to say. I recognized that, oh, I'm having the same trouble Mm. in myself. Mm. I ended up after having some time to be a full-time mom to both of my kids, I ended up starting my own business 10 years ago. And uh, that business has evolved with with me as we all evolve and grow over the years and our lives change and incorporate new things. But the the passion that I have now is is helping people speak up and say what they want to say for themselves and in relationships, which is, Mm -hmm. I think, part of what we'll be focusing on today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And before we get into the specifics of starting difficult conversations around grief, Um, One of the reasons we started this show was to give people resources to start difficult conversations of of many kinds. What advice do you have for starting these difficult conversations? That's a great question. The first thought that I have is don't let apprehension about how the conversation is going to go prevent you from moving forward. And the second piece of advice is remember that everybody involved is a human being. And there has to be a win-win in this conversation. This is a conversation as a parent, you know, I might say to my child, well, you can't play with this toy anymore. And in my mind, it's because it's broken and it might hurt them. And if I stopped the conversation there, son, you can't play with this toy anymore. Well, he's gonna feel upset maybe some grief, some questioning, some under, you know, why this doesn't make sense. He might be angry, a lot of heavy emotions. So as I'm preparing to tell him this news that you really can't play with this toy anymore, it's not safe. If I've done my homework, I've already come up with a new toy that is safe, that in that conversation I can say, well, we don't get to play with this one anymore, but now here's this new one that is safe for you. And um, what do you like about it? And help him adjust to the transition from the old to the new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And um, one of the things that you said about using our voices in our last conversation, one of the ways that kids love to express themselves is by singing. And, you know, the popularity of all of the pop singers that are out there and the little girls and little boys that like to um, express themselves. Well, even Aria will make up a song about whatever she's doing. Right. You know, yeah. she'll, we got a, a video that said, that was a song that, that said, Grandma and Grandpa, you're the best. 
and, and, and so she's already starting to use that her voice in a way that expresses exactly what she's feeling. That's so awesome to hear that someone that young is doing that. And I just want to say a little bit about singing, if I may. Many people will say, oh, I'm not a singer, or you don't want to hear me sing. But I know, and I believe, I just, not it's more than believe, I just know we were created to sing. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you that about my dad, he would say, I can't, I can't sing, and, and he had trouble matching pitch. This is true. But there were times we would gather around the family piano, and I'd be playing the Christmas songs or whatever, and he would be the first one there. And he would sing, and it was a safe space for him to sing, and the joy, even though he may not match all the pitches, of mm -hmm. singing with him and raising this joyful noise together was so good. So if any of you are out there who say, I can't sing, I will ask you, does your voice work? Does it make noise? <laughs> and if it can, and some people don't have that mm -hmm. ability, but if your voice can, and you can imagine that yourself, your voice is singing, then you can sing. Now, you may not want to make a career out of it, but I invite you to sing, even if no one else is around, and experience the joy that it brings, because it really does. And it also does so much for our bodies. The vibration helps to heal it. It reduces stress. And we could go on and on, and on about that. But I want to get more in, in depth in what, what our conversation here is all about. So how can your experience as a voice and communication strate strategist help us to communicate with someone who's grieving? Strategist. I began calling myself a voice and communication strategist because there is never one right way to communicate or one wrong way to communicate. It's very nuanced. So my experience would help someone who is wanting to connect with a person who's experiencing loss by helping that person think of what are the possibilities that you could say? What are the possible scenes, venues, places where you could be to have the conversation. What music might you involve? What, what are the possibilities? And then let's think about who your audience is, what you know about them, and decide what you might try first and what your plan B, C, and D, et cetera, might be if plan A doesn't go exactly as you expected. I love what you said about there's no one right way to communicate because we were always saying there's no one right way to grieve. So because we're all unique beings, there's no one right way to do anything. And so really being present with that person and considering those possibilities is really important, I think. Yes. Present. present. Being present. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So your book is about finding and claiming your voice. How can your voice help you having difficult conversations, claiming your voice? Well, <laughs> if we just talk about it literally, using if you're going into a conversation and you don't know what to say, you're not sure of it, you're not feeling greatly confident, if you take some time to actually warm your voice up before the conversation to practice using it, maybe you can rehearse some of the things that you've said out loud. It's just muscle memory, right? So mm -hmm. it's like any other exercise, you wanna warm up your body, get it going, and then it's ready for the, the types of 
situations it needs to respond to. And so it's the same with your voice. If you sing a little bit or practice just putting your voice out there, talking out loud, whatever it may be, reading children's books out loud, those kinds of things can actually prep you for these sorts of conversations. Yeah, so you're talking about the actual physical part of using your voice. And I don't know about you listeners, but there's there have been many times that I hadn't, ha- haven't spoken a word all day, and my first conversation is a- at a meeting at work, say, and I go to say something, and my voice croaks like these frogs from Frogtown Radio might do, and I think, I, I, can't, I can't use my voice. A- and so the work that you do, and I, uh, let me just say, I, I have done extensive, I don't know if it's extensive, it was extensive for me. It happened in a short amount of time, but I have done work with Helen in helping to uh, get my voice ready to tell my story when my book came out. So that that warming your voice up and getting it ready physically is really important for having it be ready for the emotional part of claiming your voice. Yeah, there's an internal part of our voice and there's an external part of our voice. The external part is what I'm speaking of when you actually physically use it, warm it up, get it ready, um, practice speaking with involving the emotion, as Nancy mentioned earlier when she was first telling her story. But there's also the inner part. And I I spent years in Toastmasters, love Toastmasters. What it taught me, though, um, one of the things I got out of it is that I wanted to speak very perfectly. And not everyone gets that out of Toastmasters, but I, I got that impression at first. And then over the years, I finally realized, oh, that's not the point. It's not speaking perfectly. The confidence builds over time with practice and, and using your voice. And um, so now I understand that there are two parts to getting your voice ready, especially for these difficult conversations and making these hard connections. One is the outward part that we just spoke of, and one is the inward part, this my voice is worthy. I am worthy. I have a story to tell. My experience is valid. It is important here. I'm the only one with everything that I've ever done and all the people I've ever known and the mechanics of the voice built in just the way they are in my body. Nobody else has a voice like mine. And I want everyone to understand that when you think about that, that starts to build that inner confidence. And then you, you, play that, you take that step, and then you start to sound more confident. And then you speak up using your skills to help you sound more confident, then you start to feel more confident. And as you walk Mm -hmm. forward, you have to take steps on both sides to balance that out. But if you don't speak up, you may, it may be because you feel like what you have to say isn't worth it, Mm -hmm. or people aren't going to understand you, or it just doesn't matter. It does. Right. And you do. You're so right. Learning how to value yourself, learning how to value myself was an important piece in claiming my voice. And also for me, recognizing that everything I had done from the moment I was probably conceived, I used to say born, but probably conceived, has contributed to who I am. And and I know that the same is true for everyone. And so looking at what that vast experience of the everything of your life is and then what that brings to you you need, you need to share that who who you are now and you will continue to evolve 
um, who you are and who you continue to be, that needs to be shared with the world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into some of the specifics. Uh, in your experience, what are some helpful things to say to someone who's grieving? Well, let me first off share that I do have some experience with grief, uh, several significant relationships, the most significant being the loss of my father, which happened seven years ago. So I say this because I've heard some things that were helpful and heard some things that weren't. And over my course of life, I've said some things that were helpful and I've said some things that weren't. What is helpful? Letting the person know that you're there, just showing up, being present. And this is even before the the conversation. It's uh, setting that intent to share the space with the person who's lost something, someone, and being present with your heart, leading with your heart. Things that I think are helpful, and, and you guys let me know if you think of others, but I think um, one thing that's helpful is I'm, I'm thinking about you. I can only imagine how hard this might be for you. But listen to that. Imagine might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably the other part of that question is what's not helpful. What, yeah. I know exactly how you feel. Right. Not helpful. Right. Um, at least blank, blank, blank. At, at, at least, I mean, at least my father didn't suffer. Right. Those kinds of comments. Mm-hmm. And, and they're meant... I, I do understand where they're coming from. They're they're coming from a place of love. They're mm-hmm. coming from a place, a genuine place of care and concern and wanting us in the grief to feel better. Right. But as you guys talk about, this grieving is a process and we have to experience all of the emotions. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to con- try to connect with someone who's at a loss, it, it might be okay to say, you know what, I don't know what we'll talk about today. We don't even have to talk about anything, but Mm -hmm. I'm here no matter what the words are or what the emotions are that come up. Right, right, yeah, and that's um, so true, and letting someone know that if they don't feel like talking, that's okay, because silence is also a way of communicating. Yeah, I had a gift, I received a gift from a friend of mine who said after my father died, maybe a couple of months, still fairly early, he said, Helen, would you like to come have a cup of coffee with me and just tell me about your dad? And I said, yeah. So we sat in the coffee shop and he had brought a picture of his dad and he told me a little bit about his dad too, just to help get the conversation started. But he had questions and he would invite me to tell stories about my dad and he listened, just listened. And I think we were there for an hour and a half. And of Mm. course we both cried, we laughed. Shout out to Don out there. You're the one that did that. It was such a gift. So if you're ever in that position where you can offer someone who's just lost someone the chance, if they're up for it, you know, when the time mm-hmm. is right for them, uh, if, if you're willing, I'd love to just sit and listen to you tell stories about this person. I think that's uh, an important factor. You're giving them permission to share their story. And... Uh, People, I think, naturally feel like, oh, well, that I can't, I can't speak to that. But it's your story, and if you can provide that permission in a open and inviting way, then, yeah, you're right. 
that's a tremendous gift. Yeah. I think there's this feeling out there or sense out there that people in grief don't shouldn't talk about their loved one or they probably don't want to talk about their mm-hmm. loved one because uh, it might hurt them too much. And that may be the case for that person at that time. And you have to kind of, you know, figure that out, help with their help. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's true for the most part. I think people really need and want safe spaces to talk about their yeah. friends or their family members. And maybe that's seven years later. Maybe that's 20 or 40 years later, too. Right. Sure. Because yeah. supposedly, you know, well, that person's not been with us for a year. Well, you know. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why are you still upset? Yeah. So yeah. many times that's exactly what people hear. And, yes, that's definitely not a helpful defensive place to put them in because naturally you're, you're going to want to shut down and not not be open to yeah. telling more of your story mm-hmm. or where you are today because it will be different than where you were last week or Absolutely. where you will be next week. Right, right. Yeah, so one of the things that our coworkers did for us was make us breakfast the morning of the funeral. And mm-hmm. my first inclination was to say, oh, no. And then I thought, well, how lovely would it be to not have to cook that morning because I probably wouldn't have anyway. And so three or four of our coworkers came and made us breakfast, and they invited our families, and they didn't come because they, they're the ones that ingrained in me, oh, no. <laughs> so, so they were still, still there, but it was just really lovely for them to um, cook for us, and then we invited them to sit down and have breakfast with us. So it was a little respite before it was a really difficult day. And the other thing that, that they did for us was come and rake our leaves. We lived on a, a, almost an acre with many, many, many trees, and it was in the fall. And I came home from work, and um, there were about 10 coworkers raking our leaves. Now, that's, they didn't ask. They just came and did it. And so it was, it was just, I, I was so grateful, and my boss was cleaning my house. <laughs> and at first, again, I was, like, so embarrassed, and then I thought, my defenses were so down, so open, I didn't have, I couldn't be embarrassed. I just said thank you. And so as a griever, take note of how you feel during, during those times because that's one of the lessons that grief taught me, that we can be gracious about, about receiving help even if we didn't ask for it. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of offers to help. And that, that is something we can do, but we also need to respect if someone says no. Right, if someone says no. Um, right. But showing up, serving others, food is always good. Yeah, food is, yeah, we had that too. And, um, and these days they have meal trains. Oh, so meal trains, yeah, those easy. are so great. Those yeah. are great. I just so also wanted to go back to songs. Mm. What kind of music did your loved one listen to? Uh, yeah. Mm. And maybe you could have a playlist prepared Mm-hmm. And give that as a gift to them for some time when they're just by themselves to listen to it. Uh, my yeah. son is still very much alive, but he made me a playlist for Mother's Day. Uh. And whenever I listen to it, he's so present. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that if I had a list of songs that I knew my dad liked, which I'm just now thinking, oh, this might be a good idea for me. You know, it mm-hmm. would help me feel closer to him, and I could share that with somebody else, too, about him. Yeah, yeah. What were some of the things, Dan, that you remember from that time that were helpful? 
Oh boy, that's a hard one because it brings up all sorts of um, things that were uncomfortable. And um, um, I think just the willingness to, to sit with me well, and that's one of the things you did for, her, for Leah's friends. By listening, I received their stories, and that was such a blessing. There was a, uh, a time when I was headed in t- toward the town and drove past where the accident occurred, and a group of her friends were pulled off to the side of the road you know, at, at the accident site, and I just went up to console them, you know, and... Uh, there were many invitations from us to her friends to be to share stories to have time together to try to process you know the loss and it never was easy but again a lot of it was nonverbal mm-hmm. we were just together and that was enough because there weren't any words that a teenager could tell me about you know what their life experience had been they could tell me stories about Leah, and so many lovely stories came from mm-hmm. the, that time and in the 23 years that have you know gone on since then that have um, brought a smile to our face and um, maybe a tear to our eye, but mm-hmm. uh, it just continues to be a uh, unfolding in a process that is, this is the way we honor her. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we, people have relationships with people that we're not privy to. Right. But what a gift to hear from her friends the stories, their stories with her, you know, that you wouldn't have known otherwise. Right. So that's, right. that's a neat thing. Tell me what you know about. Yeah. And, and one of the things that was really seemed very surreal to me in those first few months and maybe even year or so was the connection that we were able to have with the friends that would not have been possible under any other conditions. And it was just so, just just to consider that was so painful for me. And, and yet those stories were a bomb for my heart. So it's it, it's okay to be in the pain and the discomfort because so often they reveal something beautiful. Mm. Yeah. So we talked about what is helpful and things that people have done for, for us. What about what not to do? What's not helpful? We talked, uh, we, we touched on that a little, but we let's did touch talk on a that. little bit more. Uh, that I, I know exactly how you feel or anything to try to shut the person's grief down. Mm-hmm. Or fix um, it. Or fix it. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be better. At least you have another child. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so when you, if you're approaching someone who's experiencing loss and you want to connect, then allow yourself to connect to their grief you know that's mm-hmm. that's what they're experiencing right now so allow yourself to be open to that instead of closed off and protecting yourself and trying to protect them from the grief you just talked about a story that is one of the mysteries of grief mm-hmm. and yeah allow yourself to be open to finding out these mysteries and these discoveries and these this beauty there is beauty and sadness Mm -hmm. yes that was a difficult lesson 
Yeah. And the other thing that I think comes up a lot of times is that it's okay for you to be angry. And I'm a safe person for you to express this anger with. Mm. We don't know why things happen. And one of the natural responses is that I'm angry about that. You know, how could they leave me? And um, to tell someone that they have permission and and can do it safely uh, is another powerful way, I think, that uh, we can make a connection Mm -hmm. to someone who is devastated. Absolutely. Definitely. That is the case. And then once they're angry, we don't have to say anything back. We don't have to fix it then. We don't have to calm down their anger. I think most of us know that when you're angry and you get to vent and you get to just yell for a little bit, that's healing. Mm. Yes. Exactly. And it dispels the, the, the anger. So often our feelings feel more intense than they actually are because we are repressing them or holding them in somehow and they need to get more intense to get our attention. Once, yeah. we, once we give our attention to our feelings, they calm down and they say thank you. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have the same feeling again. Now we have a resource to meet that feeling. My husband is very good at making me cry. <laughs> and I say that in a very loving way, but from an early age or early point in our relationship, he was able to sense those times that I really needed a good cry. Yeah, yeah. And he would say beautiful things, not things to intentionally make, well, he kind of was intentionally ma- wanting to help me bring the emotions to the surface yeah, ex- and express it. And yeah. express that. And then when I finally got through it, there he was still. Mm-hmm. And. I had gotten through the big cry, and I felt so much better. And there he was still. So to be able to be there at the beginning of that, let them express whatever they need to, sadness, anger, fear, and then still be with them. Yeah, because crying makes people uncomfortable. And I was, um, after Leah died, I, I, again, lost that inhibition to cry in front of people because how could I not cry my daughter wasn't here and there was one time you know to tell this story in my book that I was I was working as a project manager and got into work and I usually cried all the way to work and then would come into work close my door and um, compose myself that was what I did for, for a long time so I was sitting in my office crying I mean I was still pretty pretty raw and my door bursts open and the the um one of the subcontractors from from the job site came in and he said why are you crying and instead of trying to stop crying and 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 um and and then ask him what he needed i somehow had the presence of mind to say someone's out in the building go go ask them that question whatever question they had i'm I, i need to be in i don't know what exactly what i said but i didn't let him impose on my grief yeah oh he he did impose on my grief but I didn't let him I didn't stop what I was meeting my needs to meet his right that's a boundary yeah I right there's a boundary I set that boundary and that that leads perfectly into the next question how do you respect boundaries that the grieving people have well you can't respect a boundary if you don't know what it is oh yeah so maybe the grieving person 
hasn't even figured out that they can set boundaries. Yeah, that's a And good maybe point. that's something you can do to help them. You know, are there times, is there a way to signal to the other people in the office, if my door is closed, that means I need time by myself. Right. And most people knew that. <laughs> this guy just needed the door open. Uh, yes. Well. <laughs> and knew that I was always ready to, to but, jump to whatever. But because you had already yeah. set that boundary, you knew how to keep yeah. him pushed back. Yeah. Um, that's, so it it's just... Um, the first step is, what are your boundaries? Are your Maybe boundaries? they are, I need to go to bed by 9 o'clock every night. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is, I need to take a walk by the site where the crash was Yeah, yeah. every day. Can you come with me? Can you come with me? Um, maybe it's, I'm not ready to talk about it. I just want us to be, to be silent. I want you here, but I just want us to not have to talk about this unless I bring it up. So it's letting the grieving person know that they can set boundaries and, yes. that, and that you can, you're giving them permission to set the boundaries. Yes. And you ask them permission. You know, right. is, would you like to talk about your dad in my case? Or, yeah. Right. Um, and, and then where would you be comfortable doing that? Do mm -hmm. you want to take a walk? Do you want to go to the coffee shop? Do you want to come to my house? Do you want me to come to your house? Right. Um, is the phone just as good? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it, uh, ask, ask, is it okay if we do this? Would you like to do this? Mm -hmm. um, right, right. It, and so then how do you recognize, a, as someone who wants to help uh, a, 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 a griever, when they set those boundaries, how do you recognize them and then honor them? Yeah, well, one example you kind of touched on earlier is somebody, you might say, can I come clean your house? Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and the person says no. Well, you need to respect that. That's a boundary. Right, yeah. yeah. And so, <laughs> but it doesn't mean never. Mm -hmm. So maybe at that point you say, well, sure, no problem. I'd like you to know that if you get to the point where you would like my help or you feel like that's something you're willing to allow to happen, mm -hmm. just let me know. Right. Or here's the other thing. I might reach out again later and ask if then is a good time. Mm -hmm. You can still say no. Is that okay? That is it okay that I do that? Yes. It, so it's always, always giving them, and, and I think it also helps the griever to have feel like they have a sense of, they're gaining a sense of control yes. again in, in in their lives, which is really when something like that happens, you feel like your life is completely out of control. I know I did. I felt like, so what else is going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. So what what can you do to give the person experiencing loss control over the situation um, and to be aware that they can set boundaries if they haven't and to ask them, you know, what are you doing f for your to protect yourself at this time? And how can I how can I support you in that? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I love that. Uh, how can I provide support? Because that's it, it's what we're here for. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And if you're a griever, know that it's okay to accept the help that will support you. And, and that if it doesn't feel right now, it doesn't mean it's not going to feel right never, like, like Dan said earlier. Give yourself that grace to receive something that that that, that that's going to support you because you, you mentioned earlier that everybody wants to help you and that's true people we want to help people so many people want to help and maybe that's why it sometimes feels 
overwhelming because there's so many people that are wanting to help and we don't know what help we, we even want, let alone which help is going to help us the most. So maybe there's one trusted friend that can work at least early on when things are very um, new and you're still in shock. Maybe there's one trusted person that can work as a a, a buffer and things can come through that person. That That's another yeah. um, That's another idea. And those things you can work out ahead of time. I mean, I know we don't like talking about preparing for difficult situations. However, that's someone that you can already have as, a, as an allied friend to, to do that for you. Yeah. And you make me think of one other thing I want to say, that now, while we're living, we can make lists, take note, tell others the things that bring us joy, comfort, peace. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like coffee in a particular mug, mm-hmm. for example. And if you make those lists, I actually learned this from um, Becky Sansbury, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, she talks about this for crisis. You, you, let, you figure out what those things are that are comforting to yeah. you. Who is that point person that you mm-hmm. could assign? And get those things prepared so that when people understand that, they know to bring you the coffee and that mug when they're at your house. Mm-hmm. Well, that was it reminds me of the gift you gave me when you asked me when I was having my uh, shoulder surgery, what are the things that I might want after the surgery? What were the things that would comfort me? And so I had to think about what what those were before it happened, not when I was in the midst of pain. So thinking about it, about some of these things before it happens and write them down talk to your friends let your wishes be known because that's how we can use our voices now instead of wondering what someone wanted after they're gone yes hmm. it goes to what we've said before about making a plan and being able to think through the process that is difficult and awkward to, to do, but uh, again, it's an invitation that you know we share because what we went through is not something that we want anyone to go into unprepared. Yeah. So today, you know, we've had the pleasure of having Helen Moses join us in studio to uh, reflect upon some of the things that go into good communication and connection. We uh, have talked about the things that aren't helpful to say. We could probably spend more time with (laughs) with that subject. Um, And some of the things that are helpful to say, and I'd like to repeat some of those. It's okay to be angry, and I'm a safe person for you to express that anger to. Or if it's not anger, if it's some other uh, emotion that is that you can tell whether it's sadness or despair I, I can see you're really suffering right now and I just want you to know that I'm a safe person for you to share that with I like what you said about I can't imagine what you're going through but I'm here to support you knowing that there's a safe space for someone to open up to and I like what you your suggestion about having a person to be your advocate when things are too overwhelming 
that they can filter some of the requests mm -hmm. to um, uh, help you through that most difficult time. What are some of the other things that everything, avoiding some of the things that shouldn't be said, like everything will be all right. You know, at that time, that's not that's not going to be a helpful thing to say. Yeah, being being aware of, of limiting words like at least or it was just mm -hmm. whatever right. whatever that that is. Before we finish up today, Helen, I would like to um, ask you to let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you if they would like to. Oh, yeah, sure. The easiest way is to go to my website, which is helenmoses.com, and there's a contact us section of the website, which would send an email to my inbox. Great. Well, we are so happy that you are with us this morning, and our hour is just about up. Like I, I said earlier, they tend to fly by. For today's inspiration, uh, I chose uh, um, a line from Helen's book, and I like this because it speaks to how our voices are in service to others, no matter what our message, and when we use our voices with presence and intention. Speaking up means not taking your voice for granted, ever, and using it for good every chance you get. Helen Moses. Thank you, everyone, and we'll be here next week. We hope you join us. You've been listening to Monday Morning Conversations with Nancy and Dan. Thank you for listening. Through our own journey, we know that it's possible to find meaning, purpose, and joy again after a loss. Join us each week as we share useful information to help you develop the skills necessary to meet grief when it enters your life and to show you the importance of having difficult conversations, even when you don't know how to start them. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at our website, beingwithgrief.com.